3: Warm up for the low. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eames and now part of the and Family Podcast. We've got ourselves a tremendous podcast today because it's another conference preview edition. We're going to be looking at the Big 12 today, which has been the best conference in all of college basketball the last few years. They now have 14 schools, so we will see how that affects a little bit of the quality because you do have a school like Central Florida coming in, but no doubt about it. Houston, they are certainly going to be able to elevate this conference a little bit as well, so we've got a lot to be able to take a look at there. Joining me in segment number two to take a look at all these teams, Jacob Harris. He does tremendous work over at the Portal Report. He is based out there in Lubbock, Texas. We are going to be taking a look at all 14 teams with him. We're going to be taking a look at the main star players on some of these First-year schools are going to be faring within the conference as well in the final segment. I'm going to get you guys my projector or finish for the Big 12, and if you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, do have one of two ways we have to fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters the name, does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review, and because I am doing a conference preview today. That means that all the news and notes that we saw in college basketball on Saturday, which really not a lot of news and notes, more or less just these not-so-secret, secret scrimmages. We're going to be rounding that up tomorrow, and I'm going to be talking a lot about those not-so-secret, secret scrimmages tomorrow as well some of the takeaways that you should have what have you so we've got you guys covered on all fronts and let's get down to business and let's take a look at a big 12 that I mean year in and year out it is a gauntlet for these teams to be able to get through and most of the teams that are coming into this conference they are via the American and I do think that it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams fare. Obviously your outlier is BYU who was in WCC last year but you take a look at how the teams that are coming in fared against the spread last year and I do think that it is curious because Houston, they were 19-18 and 18 against the spread. The big reason why is because they were laying some absolutely mondo numbers which is why they did have a little bit of a tougher time being able to cover the spread but if you take a look at them just throughout their history since Calvin Samson took over, they've actually been quite good at being able to cover a lot of larger numbers. And by larger numbers, I'm going to phrase that as being a 15 point or greater favorite. Typically, it's when they're a mid midsize favorite that it's been a little bit Tougher for them, but on all, this has been a very good against the spread team last few seasons. Then you had Central Florida go 17-15 and two against the spread in the American. Cincinnati they were 23 and 12 against the spread. They were absolutely tremendous. And for BYU, it was a little bit of a topsy turvy up and down year for them, but they also went 18 and 14 against the spread. Felt like they did very good in some of those step-up games, and then when they were a big giant favorite, there were a few times where they booted the bed last season, but all in all, I do think that's going to be very interesting to see what we get out of BYU, because I think that there might be one of the pluckier teams as they went 8-5 and five against the spread as an underdog last season, including very nearly pulling off an outright win against Gonzaga when they hosted them at the Marriott Center, but if you take a look at what we got out of these big 12 teams last season in terms of in against the spread mark, you notice that Underdogs really didn't do well within the conference. Oklahoma State went five and eleven against the spread as an underdog. Kansas even went two and four against the spread as an underdog. West Virginia five and nine against the spread as an underdog. And then you had Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, Texas Tech. I'll be either 500 against the spread as an underdog or one game below 500 against the spread as an underdog. The only two teams that were profitable as an underdog, Oklahoma went 9, 8, and 1 against the spread in this role. TCU, they went 7 and 6 against the spread in this role. Meanwhile, you had Kansas State. Go 17 and four against the spread as a favorite. Nobody else was necessarily too demonstrative. West Virginia went 12 and eight, and then you did have a few teams fare less than tremendously as a favorite against the spread. Texas Tech went eight and 11 in this role. Oklahoma went five and nine against the spread in this role, and they were two of the more rough teams in the conference last year. It's a conference where you don't want anyone to finish last, but someone does have to finish last, unfortunately. And when it came to the Big 12, it certainly was a less than tremendous year for Oklahoma and Texas Tech. They both went 5-13 and 13 straight up, and we're just referring to straight-up records here. In regards to the conference, West Virginia, they were 7-11. You had Oklahoma State go 8-10 straight up, and then from there, I would say TCU. They both go 11 and 9. Kansas, shock, shock, surprise, surprise. I think that they have won the conference all but two years, maybe one in the last like 15. Ever since Phil Self took over, they went 13 and 5 within the conference. Texas went 12 and 6 within the conference. Kansas State. Baylor, they went 11-7, and seven. and what you noticed within the conference was that as the season went along, it did feel like the tempo cranked up just a little bit for a lot of these teams as well. While some of these teams play absolutely tremendous defense, there's no question about it, and Houston is certainly going to be helping that out as well. As Houston, you're always able to find them with regards to a top five mark in points allowed on a per possession basis. As a matter of fact, Houston, they were number two last year in terms of points lot on a per-possession basis, but you did see the numbers get suppressed a little bit with some of these defenses just because night in, and night out when you're trying to Lockdown down Kansas. When you're trying to lock down West Virginia, you go down the list. It's very much a tough job. Iowa State, they were 15th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Oklahoma State, they were 24th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. I will say Central Florida comes in after they were number 35 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That was one of their big calling cards. TCU, Kansas, they were both between 39th and 41st with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. So you've got some rock-solid offenses. And then you've got teams that vary with regards to their three-point shooting, like Oklahoma State was one of your lesser teams in the country last year with regards to being able to knock down threes. Meanwhile, you were able to get West Virginia to really get locked and loaded from three-point range as well. But none of these teams were necessarily like top 25 teams with regards to their overall three-point shooting percentage. Most of them, they were just all in all relatively solid. Teams that were shooting right around 35-36% from three-point range. You've got yourself a bunch like Baylor that was towards the top of the conference. 37th in the country with regards to their overall three-point shooting percentage. A little bit over 36.5% from three-point range from there, and you had a lot of teams that they were okay, not great, not terrible. Central Florida comes in after they were 99th in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage. Oklahoma, they were 108th in the country with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. West Virginia was 118th, so you've got a lot of mid-tier teams. Cincinnati is coming into the conference, 123rd in the country with this regard, so I do think that that's striking to take a look at, and it is going to be interesting to see what Grant McCaslin does at Texas Tech. We are Certainly going to be talking about that with Jacob in segment number two because he was the coach over at North Texas last year before taking the job at Texas Tech. And North Texas, North Texas played a full possession per game slower than anyone else in all of college basketball. And that'd be a seismic change for a conference in which you really didn't have any super-duper slow teams. Porter Mosier has been running a little bit of a slower style over there at Oklahoma. Oklahoma last year, in terms of total possessions per game, they were 267th, but we've got a lot of teams that they're not necessarily playing at warp speed, but they're playing quite brisk, like Oklahoma State was one of your slower teams last year, 154th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. A team that really did stand out. They were really looking to put their stamp on the Big 12. That was Kansas State. They were 40th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Kansas, as we know, they played fast, but not fast for their own good. They're a team that was like 74th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but we did notice that Texas, they were playing at a little bit more of a breakneck pace last season as well, 70th in the country with regards to total possessions per game. TCU was another team that they really decided that they were going to play a little bit faster as well. They were 61st in the country in terms of total possessions possessions per game. West Virginia was another team that was fast but not overly fast, right around about 130th in the country. So got a lot of mid-tempo teams. They've got a lot of strengths. They are just bunches in general that they they know how to be able to get the job done, and it's going to be interesting to see how Houston fits in with all of this, because with the Houston Cougars, they are a bunch that they're looking to slow things down. They're looking to hang their hat on defense. Houston, 330th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, the other teams that are coming into the conference They fit the mold a little bit more. Central Florida, a tad bit of a slower team last year, 199th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You notice that Cincinnati was right around 91st in the country with this regard, and BYU is a team that can be a little bit all over the place, but they were 51st in the country in terms of total possessions per game, so I think that it's going to be really interesting to take a look at this conference this year, and it's going to be really interesting to gauge those totals as well, because with the Big 12, you did notice that conference play did lead to quite a few overs for this team, because... Out of conference, they were playing rock-solid defenses. They were going up against teams that were just completely overwhelmed. And you did see one team that was pretty demonstrative to you over. Honestly, two teams, Texas Tech. 60% of their games went over the total 18-12-2 to the over last year for West Virginia. 21 overs 13 unders for them, but as I was alluding to, non-conference play was something that you did want to take a look at because you had a pair of teams that played quite a few overs. West Virginia, 10 overs, 4 unders Texas Tech, 9 overs, 4 unders and Kansas to a little bit of a lesser expense as well 10 overs, 5 unders, but Iowa State, just a dead under team 2 overs to 11 unders and they are another team in this conference that I wasn't pointing out a little bit before, but they do play a little bit slower. Baylor, 7 overs, 8 unders. Oklahoma, 6 overs, 7 unders. Oklahoma State, 7 overs, 9 unders as well. And then once you got into conference play, it was really interesting to take a look at these teams because you didn't necessarily have a lot of teams that stood out one way or the other. Kansas was probably the biggest of them, 7 overs, of so 14 unders. But everyone else, either 60% or lower with regards to both overrate and underrate. You notice Oklahoma, West Virginia, Baylor all between 55 and 58% to the over. Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, they were all either... One game over 500 to the over, or right at 500. Meanwhile, Texas, Iowa State both at 9 overs, 1100s, and Texas, they had a push in there as well, and then TCU, within the conference, did have 12-unders to 8-overs as well, so it's such an interesting conference, it's a conference that I once again believe is going to be the best in all of college basketball, there are a few moving parts, and we've got to talk about those next, as joining me to be able to round it all up is a man that has been doing a great job of taking a look at all these transfers over at the Portal Report, Jacob Harris, he's going to be joining me to take a look at all 14 of these teams, how realignment might be changing, a little bit of the Big 12, and... We're going to run through all 14 rosters next. Right here on Kiss with myself, Greg Eubes-Peterson, now a part of the Visa and Family, a podcast, the Big Twelve Conference Preview Edition.
1: Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs?
0: The feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
1: What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ
4: Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three time NBA Six Man of the Year. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah. <sighs>
2: Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at sbia1.com
3: today. And we're back to the Las Vegas for Coast to with myself, Greg peterson now part of the Visa Family Podcast. This is the Big 12 Conference Preview Edition, and it's great to have this man on board. Jacob Harris has been doing such great work taking a look at all the craziness we've been seeing this college basketball season. He is the social media manager over there at the Portal Reporter who has done such a good job of Keeping things straight with what has been a very chaotic transfer portal. North of 1,700 players entered in. they logged darn near all of them. Jacob is doing a great job on that front end. He's a man that lives out there in Big 12 country. He's out there in Lubbock, Texas. So certainly we're going to be able to get some great insights on Texas Tech and so many other teams from him as you're able to follow Jacob on Twitter slash X at his first and last name, Jacob Harris, and then the letters TTU for Texas Tech all together. And Jacob, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you joining me. And Jacob, well, you're out there in Lubbock, Texas. You do a great job taking a look at the Red Raiders. So how about if we start right there? Because there's obviously lots of moving parts with this team, the biggest of which Grant McCaslin comes into the fold. But he did retain a few guys from last year with Pop Isaacs and company, while obviously bringing in the likes of Joe Tucson and company. And I feel like there's a lot of people are a little bit bearish on Texas Tech based on how things went last year. But I really feel like this is a team that can compete for the middle part of the conference. And when it's all said and done, They, in my opinion, might be a top
2: 25 team. I I think that's a very good observation right there. I feel like they're going to compete kind of in the middle of the Big 12 Conference. They were ranked eighth in the preseason
3: poll. And I feel like that's a very, very fair spot for them at the moment. And just taking a look at this roster, are there a few guys in general that you do feel like might be able to elevate this team just a touch? Because I do think that it is a very interesting bunch with Graham McCaslin, who obviously ran a North Texas team that was dead last in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And I feel like he brought in a lot of guys that should do a solid job of be able to fit that system.
2: Well, I actually feel like he's going to do the opposite at Texas Tech this year. He's brought in a ton of speed, a ton of athleticism. Obviously, like you said, Pop Isaac's being back is a big thing. He's probably gonna run the show. You got guys like Joe Toussaint, who's who he might, he might not even start. He might be the first guy off the bench. You got Arizona State transfer Devin Cambridge. He's gonna be the most athletic guy on your team, as well as Grand Canyon transfer Chance McMillan. You're gonna have Warren Washington anchoring the middle. Like you said, there's just a ton of moving parts on this team. You can see Lamar Washington, who is another retainee, have a really big year coming off the bench for you. It's a really interesting team. It's going to be different than what McCaslin has kind of had in the past. Like I said, a bit more pace, a bit more speed. He said that we're going to get up and down the floor.
3: I think that it is going to be interesting to take a look at Texas Tech because when you do go up to the power conference level like this, it's a little bit easier to be able to hook in recruits when you're not dead last in the country with regards to tempo. To your point as well, and then a team that is going to be going through quite a bit of an overhaul as well. But I do like the pieces that they brought in as well. That'd be Kansas State. And with Kansas State, I thought they're bringing in Tyler Perry, ironically enough, from North Texas. I feel like that was a big addition for them. No question about it. I think it's going to be tough for them to duplicate the Elite Eight run that they had last year. Guys like Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, they don't grow on trees. But, all in all, even though Jerome Dang is just in his second year, I feel like he's done enough to be able to get the benefit of the doubt. And I do think the Kansas State is going to be running a similar system to last year with the pieces they brought in via the portal.
2: Oh, I agree. I think Tyler Perry is one of the biggest acquisitions in the portal. I think he's gonna surprise a lot of people. He's a bit tougher on the offensive end than people give him credit for. I feel like he's going to be able to make a lot of shots. I feel like they're going to use their bigs they're bringing back. Tomlin and David Negesson are both big guys that they're bringing back. They also brought Arthur Kaluma in from Creighton, which is going to be a really, really big boost for them. They're bringing in a lot of young guys as well. Cam Carter from last year's team, they got a they got a couple of freshmen that I think are going to end up cracking their rotation. I think something to watch there is to see which of these young guys kind of crack their rotation. There's a lot of younger, there's a lot of younger talent on this team. You know, their ability to be really good death pieces and role players is really going to determine how
3: far they get this year in the tournament. Yep, I think that that is going to be something so key to take a look at as joining me on the show. We do have Jacob Harris. He does tremendous work over at the Portal Report, and this is the Big 12 Conference Preview Edition here on Coast to Coast Supes. And when it comes to some of the newcomers, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how they fare. Certainly, I do think that it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for the teams that are coming into this conference, but I take a look at Cincinnati, and obviously Houston is probably going to have the most success right away, but with Cincinnati, I feel like they brought in some relatively solid pieces. Now, we do need to be taking a look at if some of these guys are going to be able to be eligible right away, like Aziz Bondango, who comes in from Utah Valley. I believe that he needs a waiver, and we're still awaiting that, so... It is something to be taking a look at, but someone like a CJ Frederick coming in from Kentucky slash Iowa. If he's able to stay healthy, I think that there's some upside there. And I just take a look at Wes Miller as a coach, and I've got a lot of confidence that he's going to have Cincinnati very competitive and feisty, and you're number one in the Big 12.
2: Oh, yeah, I agree with that. After Houston, obviously, I think they're going to be probably the second best newcomer. Aziz Benadogo, I mean, his waiver status is going to determine just how far they can go behind him in the front court. There's not too much they brought in. Seamus Lucusius, if I butchered that, I apologize. Out of Butler, <laughs> he's going to get some solid run for them. You know, a guy like Jamil Reynolds from Temple, like you said, CJ Frederick, he's probably going to end up leading this team and scoring. They have a couple of newcomers, freshmen like Jizzle James It's going to get some run. They got Dede Thomas out of Kilgore, Juco. He's going to probably play point guard for them this year. It's going to be an interesting kind of mix of Juco and freshmen and transfer portal. It's going to be really, really fascinating to watch. Yes,
3: I think that this team is going to be interesting. And I think that they're the second best team coming into the conference, obviously. Houston, mm-hmm. I think, is going to be in the top. We'll talk about them in a few yes. minutes. But how do you <laughs> view Central Florida? Because with Central Florida, I do think that's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for them. But late in the portal, they were able to bring in some guards that are going to be able to bring this team some scoring. But I think the biggest thing when I take a look at Central Florida is in a Big 12 in which has a lot of size. The big man, especially with Hunter Dickinson entering into this program, they are very, very good. And I think that Central Florida is really going to be lost on the glass. And I think that they're going to be losing that battle night in and night out down low.
2: I agree with you 100%. The first thing I kind of, when I was looking over their roster yesterday and today, I'm like, man, they just don't really have that much in the front court. Like you're right. Like they went out in the portal and you know, they got, obviously got some backcourt help like Shamari Allen. They recently brought in DeMar Langford out of Boston college. They brought in some other guys. I think they're going to have the most trouble out of the four newcomer teams in the Big 12, because honestly, they weren't all that competitive last year
3: in their old conference. And
2: this year, it's going to be rough for Central Florida for sure.
3: Yeah, I did certainly think that it is going to be. And when it comes to this bunch, I do think that's going to be a little bit rough for them. As with BYU, I do feel like losing Quez Clover late in the process, him going over to Kansas State, yeah. that did hurt them. I like Ali Khalifa, though. Ali Khalifa has really good versatility. At eleven, he's able to pop some threes. That's a good place to start. And for BYU, they were a young team that. We saw them play very competitively in some step-up games last season. I do think that with BYU, they've got a relatively solid defense as well. This is a bunch I think is going to be finishing towards the bottom of the Big 12, but I could see this team very easily be one of those teams in which they don't win a lot of games, but they're within single digits when it's all said and done in a lot of these games as well. I think they're
2: going to be competitive. Obviously, depth coming into a new conference is an issue. Ali Khalifa is probably my favorite player on their team. I watch a lot of film on him and and spoke to him a lot when he was in the transfer portal I think this is a really really good spot for him they do bring back a couple of guys they bring guys like Dalen Hall and Trey Ward back you know obviously they just added Marcus Adams he bounced around from Kansas to Gonzaga and then BYU I don't really know what his waiver status is if he has to have a waiver I know he enrolled so I assume he he was he's probably gonna end up sitting out this year but he's a solid building piece for them going forward. I agree with you. I can see them finishing towards the bottom of the Big 12, but they're definitely not a team that you can kind of overlook.
3: Yep, I am in agreement with you there. As Joining me on the show, Jacob Harris, who does tremendous work at the Portal Report, is helping me break down the Big 12 right here on Kuska Seeps. How about if we dive in on this much? Because I do think that they have some question marks, and that's Texas. And the biggest question marks that we've got with Texas is, are they going to have their big men to begin the year? Because Caden Shedrick, Dylan DeSue, both of these guys mm-hmm. are going through injuries, obviously, with DeSue. You know, saw what happened to him in the NCAA tournament. You wish him absolutely nothing but the best. Oh, you yeah. bring in Max a. Smith. He, as we know, is a bucket getter. Now he's going to be stepping up a level I still don't necessarily have. A lot of fear that he's going to be able to put up numbers. Probably not north of 20 points per game numbers, but I think that yeah. he's going to be rock solid. And with Texas, I do think that this is one of the tougher teams to gauge just because they do have those big man injuries. And as we know, with the injuries that sue along with Shutter Cav, these are ones that can linger even when they get back out there on the floor.
2: Oh, I agree. I mean, even in my notes right here, I think that's my biggest question with them. Are these guys going to get back? When are they going to get back? Because even if they get cleared tomorrow, I mean, they're still behind. I mean, if they get cleared in December, like it's going to be a huge uphill battle for them to get in shape before conference play. And trust me, I watched Fardaz Amac try to play his way into shape last year during conference play, and it it was not pretty. You don't want your big guys – having to come in in December and January and playing your way into shape. They do have a very, very good backcourt, obviously with Amos, Tyrese Hunter, obviously Dylan Mitchell comes back. He's going to play a forward spot. Ithiel Horton is another guy that I've heard good things about. I paused with him because of his previous off court issues. If he can stay on the court and out of trouble, I think he's going to be a really, really good piece for them. Like you said, Front court issues, I mean, if they don't get these guys back, I don't even know who on their roster could potentially play the five spot for them. They have a forward from UTEP that they brought in who's really, really athletic. He's just super raw right now. I think he's about a year away from really contributing for them. But yeah, it's injury concerns with Texas. I don't know where they're going to end up.
3: Yeah, I do think that that is a big, giant question mark for them and for Texas. If they can get those big men out there on the floor and get them a clean bill of health, I think that that's going to be beneficial for them moving forward. And then I take a look at this bunch as, as well, and I've got my question marks with them, and that's Oklahoma State. Because with Oklahoma State, we all recall what happened when they had Kate Cunningham out there on the floor, a little bit of an early exit in the NCAA tournament, but that was one of the more exciting teams in all of college basketball, and it, it just feels like the last few years, they've been sort of stagnant. They brought in some okay pieces via the transfer portal, but they haven't been tremendous. We all recall last year, they just had a tough time being able to knock down some threes. And I think in another conference, Oklahoma State would be tremendous. But just with their lack of outside shooting, I do think that they're going to be struggling a little bit once again here in the Big 12. Oh, I agree. They were higher on the pole than I have.
2: I have them kind of in the twelve thirteen range. They were pulled in at the ten at the ten spot in the preseason poll. You spelled it out perfectly. Like they just seem stagnant. They're not really able to bring in the you know since Kate Cunningham they haven't really been able to bring in a huge high school prospect out of the portal. I mean they got Javon Small who's going to be able to get some buckets for him, but he's a bit undersized on the defensive end. They got Isaiah Miranda who's probably going to start at center for him. But again, like he didn't hit the floor last year for NC State. It's a big ask for them to come into a conference that has, you know, so many proven players and so many proven transfers. You know, these guys that, you know, are coming from low majors for Oklahoma State. I don't think it's going to be a good year for them, which is sad to say, because if they have a bad year, I don't know that Mike Boynton
3: survives. I don't know. Yeah, Mike Boynton was handed a rough hand as well with the NCAA certainly being much Absolutely. more harsh with Oklahoma State yes. than they were on Kansas. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise there. But, yeah, I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a rough year for Oklahoma State as well. And I was a little bit befuddled that they were picked. I believe it was number 10 in that poll because yes. I don't have them quite that high either. And then I take a look at this bunch, Jen. I feel like this team could be a little bit of an underachiever slash an overachiever. I do feel like this is a little bit of a wild card in TCU because they do retain some of their guys from last year and Emmanuel Miller along Chuck O'Bannon. But I do look at when they had Mike Miles off the floor last year, and this was just not the same team. They do bring in Avery Anderson the third, obviously, from Oklahoma State, along Jameer Nelson Jr. But I do think that with TCU, maybe the loss of Mike Miles, I mean, obviously, it's something that a lot of people have on the radio. Radar. I don't know if it's necessarily being quantified just enough. And I do have my question marks as to whether or not Jameer Nelson Jr. is going to go from Delaware and is going to be super productive in the Big 12.
2: I mean, those are all fair questions. Mike my, Miles, I think you put it perfectly. He was a team last year. He did everything for them. And I don't know what it's going to look like without him on the court. I will give Jamie Dixon credit for this. He did a very good job of stacking talent. They are very deep in all positions. They're deep at most every spot. But, you know, a lot of these transfers, are they able to go from low majors to high majors, like you just said? Are they able to produce, you know, Jameer Nelson? He, I, th- I feel like everybody is expecting him to kind of
3: step into a Mike Miles role for them, and I don't think that's realistic. I don't think so either, and I do think that with TCU, they're going to play hard-nosed defense. They're going to yeah. get after you, and Jamie Dixon is a heck of a coach, but that loss of Mike Miles I don't think is being quantified enough, even though it's being talked about quite a bit. As joining me on the show, we do have Jacob Young, who does great work over at the Portal Report, and I think a look at this bunch in. And- I don't know about you, but this just doesn't read as a Big 12 roster. It's Oklahoma because, I mean, LaTrey Dothard was very solid while he was at Utah Valley. This is a big jump up in competition. Now, if John Hughley can go back to being what he was at Pittsburgh a few years ago when he was fully healthy, you're looking at something there. But Rivaldo Suarez, JV McCollum, guys like this fine players, but I just don't necessarily see Oklahoma being able to make a lot of noise. And I do think that Porter Mosier, in year number three, in a year where I feel like he needs to produce some results, I question whether or not he's going to be able to do so.
2: There's just not very much Big 12 talent, like he said. Like, if Hughley can go back to his pre-injury form, they're going to have a really really solid Piece in the front court. Garthard was, you know, obviously very good. It's just I don't see the depth. Besides those two guys, and like you said, Jv McCollum coming in, Torres. I just don't see very much Big Twelve talent that you know. Whenever B League is off the floor, who are they going to turn to? Like they just don't have enough size that is ready to compete at a conference level yet to really compete with anybody they were pulled in at i think 12 and i think that's a really good spot that's an accurate spot for them right now you said it porter mosier has to produce some results this year. And I don't think that he will. I mean, obviously there were a ton of rumors in the offseason that he was going to leave and take the Notre Dame job. It sounds like this might be a year. If he doesn't produce, he might try to find somewhere else to go, you know, before they fire him. I don't think it's going to be a very good year for them.
3: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I just don't necessarily see it with Oklahoma personally. And I think that their roster is much more on par with a team like Central Florida rather than your average Big 12 team. And I take yeah. a look at this bunch and the top end talent is here. With West Virginia, Kirk creesa Jesse Edwards, that's a very good starting point. And Seth Wilson was actually surprisingly a very good and efficient player with regards to assist to turnover ratio. Boy, has this team been through a lot the last few months. You've now got Josh Eilert instead of Bob Huggins on the sidelines. Raekwon Battle, there's still question marks as to whether or not he's going to get that waiver or not. As we record this podcast, we are unsure. I'd be a little bit surprised if he's not out there on the court, but that is very much something to take a look at because if they don't have Raquan Battle, that's going to be rough. And they did bring in a -a cook-a-cook as well. So, I mean, I don't know how you view this West Virginia team, but I like the top-end talent, but I feel like these guys are just going to be gassed as the season goes along because they don't have much depth.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I put depth as number one. Question mark on my little notes here. I don't know what's going on with Raquan Battle. I think last week, Coach Eilert said that they expected to hear something this week. And as we're recording this right now, we haven't heard anything. And honestly, it reminds me of a Texas Tech waiver. And if I can put my Texas Tech hat on for a second. Uh, Joel and Tomway, brother of Warriors guard at uh, Jonathan Kaminga, whenever he transferred to Texas Tech, the waiver process just took forever. I find in these things, the longer they take, the more often the answer is no. For West Virginia fans, I hope that that's not the answer. I hope he gets his waiver, and I hope he's out there on the floor. I think he takes them from being a eh, team to a pretty good team. I think he does that. He, he's going to do that much for them this season. Obviously, like you said, Jesse Edwards is going to be a double-double machine. But like you said, I mean, whenever you get about halfway through the conference schedule, those guys are going to be beat up and tired, and there's just not very much depth behind them.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, as I do think that with regards to these teams that I have left for the end, these big four, I think all of them are going to be making much more waves nationally. And let's take a look at Baylor, as you do have a few question marks with this team, because they do lose LJ Cryer from last year, Keontae, George, I do feel like he was a little bit more of an NBA player rather than a college player had his moments at Baylor, but it did feel like there was a little bit of inconsistency, but that said, yeah. <laughs> I take a look at Baylor bringing in Ray J. Dennis and I know that he's coming in from the back, but I have no question that this guy is going to be very rock solid to start with. They are going to need to rely upon Jacoby Walter who's one of the best freshmen in all of college basketball, in my mm-hmm. opinion, but if they're able to get John to John, out there on the floor, that's a big question mark. He's, this guy has dealt with a lot of injuries along with perhaps Caleb Lohner being able to give you a little bit more as well. I think that there's tremendous upside with Baylor, a team that I do feel like they could once again, be a little bit of a wild card because if all these pieces fit alongside Jalen Bridges, you're really looking at something with Baylor. Meanwhile, if you're dealing with injury issues, Ray J Dennis doesn't quite pan out. I do feel like there might be a little bit of underachievement from Baylor as well.
2: Obviously it's going to all revolve around Jalen Bridges. He's going to be a rock solid guy. He's going to obviously give you 11, 12, 13 points a night seven or eight rebounds. I agree with you. I think Ray J. Dennis is going to be a stud for them. I think he's going to be a lead guard type that they've had the past few years that can hit shots, defend the ball. JTT, whether or not, isn't the question. It's more of how much can he give them? Is he going to be able to go out there and give them 20, 25 minutes a night, or is he more of looking at he can only do 10 to 15? That's really going to determine, in my opinion, whether they're a good
3: team or a great team. I do think so as well. I think that it all hinges upon what you're able to get down low of Jonathan Chama Chachua. I will say the freshman, I'm going to say the same wrong. Avez Misi, I think that he has a little bit of upside as well, but I do think that it's going to be very important to be taking a look a lot on that front. Yeah. And then when I take a look at this bunch, I do feel like they're – very much being slept upon because they didn't necessarily make a bunch of splash moves in the transfer portal. But with Iowa State recognizing Caleb Grill being out of the fold, that's something that is under the radar. But I do like the fact that they bring in Kishan Gilbert to essentially replace him. And Tameon yeah. Lipsy, he's just that ultimate guy that does what you need. Didn't put up a bunch of points last year, but was very good at being able to dole out the ball, was very good at generating steals. They bring in Jackson Pavelski as well. There's quite a bit of Wisconsin ties with this Iowa State team, so I know oh, yeah. quite a few of these guys quite well. But <laughs> if you take a look at this Iowa State team, they don't necessarily have that one sizzle guy that you look at and you're saying, oh, he could just go out there and get you a bucket. But they've got a whole bunch of guys that will make life miserable for you on the defensive side of things. But DJ Altsaberger has done a tremendous job, and I think that this is once again going to be a team that's going to be no fun to play and is – when you just get a bunch of turnovers to win a bunch of 65 to 62 style games.
2: Oh, I agree. I think uh, what I have on them really is, like you said, there's nothing flashy about them. There's no one guy that's going to go out there and drop 20 points every night. But there's just a bunch of really good players that can play in the big 12. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people there. They pulled in at seven. I wouldn't be surprised to see them at the fifth spot. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them at the ninth spot. Like I said before, there's really not a bunch of flash there. And a lot of these games, you're going to need a guy to go out there and drop 20. And I don't know that they have that. But at the same time, like you said, it's going to be very tough for anyone who plays them because they're deep, they're good. Obviously, at Tim and Lindsey, every three or four years, they have a guy that just, he doesn't average a lot of points, but he gives you stat lines like nine points, five rebounds, seven assists, three steals, just a ton. Just He just does a ton, and that's what Tim and Lindsey does. He stuffs the stat sheet in a bunch of different ways. He's very effective out there on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, and I think he's going to be their best player this year. I think they're going to be good. I just don't know. How good?
3: Yeah, I do think that that's a big question, Mark. How good are they going to be? And is that defense going to be what it was last season as well, because I do think that Caleb Grill being out of the fold, that is a pretty big, stinking deal. And, well, I was mentioning it a little bit before. Out of the four teams coming into the conference, I think that Houston is by far the first. If you'd like to make a case for any of the of the other three, you just let me know. But I take a look at the Houston team and bringing in LJ Cryer, ironically enough, from within the conference at Baylor, mm-hmm. I think is massive. You bring back so many guys like Terrence Arsenault. Hopefully I said that correctly. You bring in Damian Dunn. I love that, but it's all about Jabal Shedd. One of the most effective point guards that we're going to find in all of college basketball. Every single year, this team is so great defensively. Every single year, they completely eat up the glass. Even though they don't typically have that one guy that gives you north of eight rebounds per game, they just do it by committee. And I think that Kelvin Sampson and his system, once again, is going to work really well with this team. I can't put them above Kansas, but I certainly think that Houston, naturally, is one of the best teams at all of college basketball. I think that they are going to have instant success in the Big 12. Oh, I
2: do too. I agree. There's no argument here with me. Like, they're going to be the best new team. Like you said, Jamal Shedd. I mean, everything's going to run through. Him, I think I put that they're probably the deepest team, probably one through 10. And the thing is, they bring back basically all their role players from last year, with the exception of maybe one. They're just deep, and they're all good, and they can all score the ball. Like you said, they're all good rebounders. It's going to be tough for anybody to play them because they're not used to playing Houston. And I feel like on one hand, that's going to be an advantage to Houston, But on the other hand, the only question mark I have is how much is the Big 12 schedule going to affect them? Are they going to kind of run out of gas because they're not used to playing, you know, top 25, top 30 teams night after night after night after night for months on end? And I feel like that's going to be the
3: biggest question mark for all of these teams. I do think that that is going to be such a big question mark because I do think that this is the best conference in all of college basketball. It has been the last few years, Absolutely. and even with adding the likes of Central Florida and company, I still think that they're there. But I mean, how many times haven't we seen this team be number one in Kansas? And there's just no reason for me to think otherwise at this point. You bring in Hunter Dickinson, which is just such a seismic get in the transfer portal. Might be the biggest transfer in the history of college basketball. Now, yes. they aren't without Arturian Morris, so that's a little bit of an issue, but you still bring back Dewan Harris, you still bring back Kevin McCuller, Nicholas Timberlake, I think is going to do a solid job coming in for Towson, and I think the only question is, should Kansas be number one nationally or number two? Because personally, I've got Duke a little bit ahead of them, but I think Kansas runs this conference once again.
2: There's just too much talent. I mean, obviously now that Arturian Morris is no longer with the team, that creates a small question of guard depth, but I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue because a lot of people may not remember this, but when Kevin McCullough was at Texas tech, I mean, he played the guard spot. He didn't really play a forward spot and they're more looking him to play a three, four spot for them. And if he has to slide over and play a two spot, he's athletic enough and good enough defensively to guard a two or a league guard. Dude's really, really talented. I don't see anybody matching up with their talent level between DeJuan Harris and between Hunter Dickinson and Nick Timberlake, who's going to come in and oh, he's a bucket guy. He's obviously going to score some buckets, You know, McCuller, K.J. Adams, there's too much talent on the floor for anybody to beat them enough, in my opinion, for anybody but them to win the conference.
3: No disagreement here. I've got Kansas number one with regards to my projector finish. Like I said, only question is, should they be number one or number two nationally? Personally, I'm putting them at number two, but certainly no shame there with what Duke is bringing back. Jacob, I know you're doing absolutely amazing work, taking a look at the game of college basketball. You're one of the main men over there at the Portal report You've got the Big 12 rushing through your veins. So let the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms.
2: Oh, absolutely. The only main one I'm on right now is Twitter. Actually, like you said earlier, you can follow me there at Jacob Harris, TTU. I did do a lot of to Tech stuff, a lot of Porter Report stuff. I'm going to start getting into some Big 12 basketball stuff here pretty soon. Really excited for what the Porter Report team has going on this year. I think we're really going to be able to grow our platform and help a lot of coaches and student-athletes out, and I'm really excited about that.
3: Absolutely, as Jacob does such incredible work taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. It was great to be able to get him aboard for the Big 12 Preview, a conference that I think is the best in all of college basketball, and Jacob is going to have a front-row seat to all that we're going to be seeing this year. Big thanks to Jacob Harris for joining me on Coast, Coast. now part of the Beasts and Family podcast. Coming up next, this that time of the podcast to give you my projector or finish for the Big 12.
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat.
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat.
4: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah. <sighs>
3: And we're back here, lovey Las Vegas, for Gusta Gus, Gus Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now a part of the VC Family podcast. It was great to get Jacob Harris aboard to take a look at all these teams in the Big Twelve. He does amazing work over at Portal Report, taking a look at the great game of college basketball, all the movement that we saw this offseason, and that space out there in the great state of Texas, so knows quite a bit about this conference and lent us some tremendous insights in segment number two. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast I give you my projector finish for the Big 12. Friendly reminder that because I am doing a conference preview today, that does mean that with regards to the podcast tomorrow I will be rounding up both the Saturday and Sunday college basketball news and notes. So We've got you guys all covered there and got yeah, got you cover with dead last in terms of my projector or finishing. That is gonna be Central Florida, as we were talking about in the last segment. Who's gonna be playing down low for this scene? Because you've got CJ Walker's right around six foot eight. Not a guy that necessarily takes a lot of threes, is able to give you a little bit down low, but I mean really past that. You've got a Diallo who comes in from San Jose State. He was very solid at San Jose State, but this is a big step up in competition, and I like Darius Johnson, but when he and DeMar Lankford, who comes in from Boston College, are some of your primary scorers, that's a little bit of an issue. Shamari Allen comes in from UIKC, where he was able to put up 15-plus points per contest, but at the same time as well, it's not like Shamari Allen was necessarily lighting the world on fire from three-point range as well. You're going to need Jalen Sellers. Due to that, not necessarily a lot of depth with this team, as well as Taylor Hendricks last year. I mean, he was the team, and now you lose him from a bunch that wasn't even necessarily that great out there in the American. I do think that Johnny Dawkins is a relatively solid coach, but I think that this team is going to be very much up against it. So I do think that with Central Florida, we are looking at a rough year for them. I have them number 14 with regards to my projector or finish. At number 13, I am going to be going with Oklahoma. With this Oklahoma bunch, as we were talking about in the last segment, it just doesn't feel like a Big 12 roster. You know trade Trey Dothard was able to put up some nice numbers over at Utah Valley. And again, if John Hughley can go back to what he was a few seasons ago when he was over at Pittsburgh, where he was putting up 7-plus rebounds per game, when he was doing a nice job being able to just fill up the for a team that was not above 500 when he was putting up those big numbers. I do think that you might be looking at a little bit of something there, but that's a big question mark. JV McCollum, I know that a lot of people are bullish on him, but Sienna didn't play too much worse when he was off the court rather than when he was on the court. He did put up 16 points per contest. Career about 37.5% three point shooter, but same time as well. Him going from Siena to Oklahoma, I have big time question marks as to how he's going to be able to upgrade this team. You've got Milos Uzan, who is a top 100 guy in terms of his freshman ranking, and he's able to do a nice job doling out three assists per contest. Wasn't a primary scorer, but did a nice job last year, but I just feel like you need a little bit more there. Other than Hughley, you really don't have a lot down low. And I do think that for Oklahoma, they're fighting an uphill battle in what is a very tremendous conference. So I do have Oklahoma, number 13 in regards to my projector finish. And number 12, when you say within the state, Oklahoma State. With Oklahoma State, I do think that this team is going to struggle mightily as well. You bring back Bryce Thompson, who I like Bryce Thompson. He put up right around 12 points, 2.5 assists per contest. A former top 30 recruit consensus and shot 37% from three-part range. Who else is really going to be able to stuff the statue for the team? John Michael Wright came over from the Big South and he put up modest numbers last year: 10 points, a few assists, was an okay three-point shooter. And I do think that Javon Small is going to be able to come up big for the team. But I mean, I was talking about Central Florida not having a lot down low. This team really doesn't have much of anything as well. They bring in Miranda from. NC State. I do think that he's going to be able to put up some solid numbers, but same time as well, you just take a look at someone like an Eric Daly. They're probably going to be looking at him for big minutes as a freshman. Jerry Sicklin, he was able to have some solid numbers while he was over at North Florida, but once again, you're going from North Florida over to Oklahoma State. I think that there's going to be some issues there. Russell Harrison, I think, could be a nice little glue guy at six foot seven. not necessarily someone that does one thing amazing, but you know what? As someone that's going to be able to give you a little bit of scoring, going to be able to contribute on the board, so you're able to go down the list. He's able to do quite a few things okay, but I mean, he missed all of last season but after he was trying to transfer him from Louisiana Monroe as well, so... Got yeah, your question marks there with this Oklahoma State team. I just don't think that they're up to snuff in the Big 12. And with of Cise now out the fold, they really don't have a post presence as well. So Oklahoma State, number 12 with regards to my projector finish. And number 11, I'm going to be going with West Virginia. Big time question marks with Josh Eilert taking over for Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins, I and mean, you can say what you want about him, but I mean, this man knew how to coach basketball. And you've got good top-end talent. Kirk Reza. I recognize that a lot of people are sort of out on him, but this guy could take over a game. It's the case, though, as well with Kirk Reza, you're probably going to get too much of him because when he had the ball in his hands too much at Arizona last year, that's where things really went wrong, and it's going to probably turn into a situation in a lot of games where a bad shot for him might be better than a good shot for someone else. Seth Wilson is actually someone that you want the ball in his hands a little bit more as well. Among qualifying Division I players last year, he actually was number one with regards to assist or turnover ratio. Didn't necessarily contribute a ton of assists, but that's all. But you're now looking at someone like a Quince Lesnicki who had a tough time staying out there on the floor for Iona last year being one of your primary guys to be able to help out Jesse Edwards, who he's a double-double machine. He was awesome at Syracuse. Is able to give you some block shots, like what he's able to bring to the table. And this is thinking that Raekwon Battle is going to be out there on the floor. For Raekwon Battle's not out there, then you're really looking at a backcourt that is just very much breadth of talent. you bring in Jer- Jeremiah Bembry, who... He's a freshman that was sort of like a top 150 guy, but I didn't think that he was going to see a lot of run at Florida State. Now he's here at West Virginia. No, Farrakhan is someone that I don't think is going to be able to get a waiver to be able to play this year. And a Cook, he's six foot ten. He's able to give you some rebounds. He's able to give you some blocks. He's never really been a guy that has been a primary option, though, and I do think that with this West Virginia team, it is going to be a team that is going to have to really try to learn on the fly. You've got a lot of new pieces. You've got Josh Eilert in as the interim head coach, so there's just a mess here with West Virginia. I've got them number 11 with regards to my projector finish, and number 10, I'm going to be going with BYU. With BYU, I think that this is a pesky team that's going to lose a lot of close games in the Big 12, as I was referring to in the conversation in the last segment. I like Ali Khalifa and what he's able to bring to the table. Didn't necessarily put up like 20 plus points per game at the lower level or anything like that, but that is because... Charlotte was one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, and in a super-duper slow system, he was one of their primary scorers, was able to put up right around 12 points per contest, six boards, he gives you three assists, and six with 10, he's able to pop threes. Really good versatility there. And then you do have the guys from last year, like Jackson Robinson, Spencer Johnson. These are guys I think are going to be quality scorers once again this year with Jackson Robinson and Spencer Johnson. They combined for about 19 points per contest. I know that Spencer Johnson dealt with a little bit of injury last season, but on all, I like these guys along Fusani who was able to put up eight boards per contest. Not a guy that's going to go out there and stretch a floor and shoot threes, but very nice rim protector for the seamen. Getting the ball out of the hands of Rudy Williams I think is big as well because Rudy Williams last year, was committing way too many turnovers at the beginning of the year when they got the ball out of his hands and, man, Down Hall doing quite a bit more. That was very beneficial, and now you bring in Dawson Baker as well, a guy that he was able to shake, and he was able to Baker as well. He was over there at UC Irvine and put up some very nice numbers, over 15 points per contest. Not necessarily going to be like a primary ball handler, but I think you take the edge off of a lot of these other backcourt pieces, and even guys like Noah Waterman, Trevin Nell. These are guys that are able to play. So I think that BYU is going to come into the conference. And I don't think that they're going to be like a top five team within the conference. But I think that they're going to be very pesky. And I think that they're going to hold their own. I've got BYU at number 10 with regards to my projector or finish. and number nine, I'm on to Cincinnati. We are going to be going with the Bearcats. Now Aziz Bendango, whether or not, he's going to be able to get a waiver. That's going to be big. He was one of the top shot blockers in all of college basketball. when He was over at Utah Valley. He really was able to burst onto the scene after he didn't play a lot at Akron the previous campaign. But I think that C.J. Frederick is really the sleeper here. Just has been dealing with a lot of injuries the last few years. When I was at Kentucky last year, was a part-time starter, shot 92% of the free throw line, but that three-point shooting pop that he had at Iowa, where he shot 46.5% from three, clearly was not there. I just feel like the Kentucky system wasn't necessarily built for him, so I do think that now he's able to get a fresh lease on life, and I think that he's going to be able to put up some nice numbers along Simeon Lucasius. He was very solid at Butler, is someone that... Did have some inconsistency with his performance. It felt like he was a little bit all or nothing, but still, he's able to give you like four boards, three assists, a steal, 11.5 points per contest, while shooting about 38% for three. As a six foot six, just do it all sort of player. Victor Lukin. He's able to do a nice job down low as well. I do have a little bit of question mark with regards to backcourt. You're gonna need Jizzle James as a freshman to be able to play some good minutes for the team. And I do think that he's gonna be able to do so. And Lucas, because he is so versatile, he's able to make it so that way you don't need like that five assists per game, point guard, or anything like that. Losing someone like a Jeremiah Davenport is gonna to be tough for Cincinnati, but Wes Miller, I think is one of the more underrated coaches in all of college basketball. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job with the Cincinnati team. So I do have the Bearcats number nine with regards to my projector finish, And number eight, this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I'm going to go with TCU. I was referring to it in the last segment. I think that having Mike Miles out of the fold is going to be massive for this TCU team. TCU was completely different when Mike Miles was on the floor as compared to when he was off the floor. Now, you bring back Emmanuel Miller. Love what he was able to do. Six half boards, 12 and a half points per game, but you also saw what happened when you saw that shall we say, Eddie Lampkin situation towards the back half of the campaign as well. You do bring back someone like a Micah Peavy. If you're looking at glue guys, he's certainly one of them. He gives you like seven points, a trio of boards. He just makes winning plays along Jacoby Coles. Can these guys be able to elevate? That's a big giant question mark. And what are you gonna be able to get out of Jameer Nelson Jr.? With Jameer Nelson Jr. was awesome over at Delaware last year, but this is a big step up in competition with Jameer Nelson Jr. is part of a Delaware team that while he himself was a C.A.L. defensive player. Nowhere didn't necessarily play the world's greatest defense. And it's not like Jameer Nelson Jr. has ever really been. I mean, even in a super above average three-point shooter. He's a career about 31.5% three-point shooter. And that's something that does leave you a little bit alarmed. alarm. Chuck O'Bannon Jr. has always been a solid player. But this is like his 57th year of college basketball. Ernest Huday. I think that he's going to be able to do some nice things down low. But never really got run while he was at Kansas as well. Issa Mustafa. He's a solid low-post player that comes in from Coastal Carolina, but Coastal Carolina was terrible on defense last year as well. I've got a lot of question marks with the incoming transfers for TCU and how they're going to look without Mike Miles, who was truly the soul of this team last year. So, as a result, I do think that TCU... In a very rough and tumble Big 12 is going to be finishing towards the middle of the conference. I've got them number eight with regards to my projector finish. At number seven, I'm going to be going with Kansas State. I think it would be far-fetched for Kansas State to be able to duplicate what they did last year, really take everyone by surprise, make it to the Elite Eight behind Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel and company. But Tyler Perry, this guy put up buckets in the slowest offense in all of college basketball. Like North Texas... Played at a rate of a possessions per game lower than everyone else in all of college basketball, yet he still hung half points per contest on the board. He was still shooting 41% from three-point range. I absolutely love his game. Now, Arthur Kaloum, I do think that this might be a little bit of an overblown transfer. I mean, he had 12 points, six boards at Creighton. He was a solid player, but I don't necessarily think that he's a super-duper elevator, not a guy that necessarily shoots it tremendously from three-point range, but bringing back... Naquan Tomlin, I think, is absolutely massive. Someone who I think he's going to be able to give this team like seven-plus boards per contest. David Nguessen, he's someone that is able to pop a few threes. You can tell that this is probably going to be a team that is going to be missing some of the versatility that they got a season ago from Ismail Massoud, But I think that he's going to be able to be a nice elevator. Quez Glover is probably going to be that sixth man after he had Sanford last year with a double-figure score. He's able to give you some steals. Not necessarily the world's most efficient three-point shooter, but he does a great job both on the offensive and the defensive side of things. And then you've got Day Day Ames. Hopefully I said that correctly. He comes in as freshman. And I think that he's going to play some good minutes along with R.J. Jones. I think that this team is a little bit deeper than a lot of people want to give it credit for. I think that Cam Carter is in for a solid year. And Jerome Tang, even though it's just season number two, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. He loses a lot from that elite A team last season, but this guy has proven that he knows how to coach. And I think that he's going to do a solid job with the Kansas State team. That They're going to be in the middle of the Big 12, but being in the middle of the Big 12 is it's quite a feat with how good this conference is. I've got Kansas State, number seven with regards to my projector finish. And number six, I'm going to be going with Texas Tech. I really like this Texas Tech team. I really like Grant McCaslin. I don't know if they're going to be playing super duper up-tempo. It would be hard to think that Grant McCaslin won't have the Texas Tech team dead last in the country with regards to possessions per game, but he did a very good job of being able to re- maintain some of the guys that were on the roster last year, like A. Pops Isaac and then at the same time being able to bring in something like a Joe Toussaint. Joe Toussaint is not going to go out there and is going to give you like 15 plus points per game or anything like that, but he's going to give you like three assists. He's going to give you about 10 points. He's a solid three-point shooter. Even though he's only six feet tall, he's going to hit the glass for you as well. I like his overall game. And then you bring in tyron Lindsey, who he was really coming into his own at Georgia as a freshman last year before he decided to hit the transfer portal, was averaging a little bit over five boards per contest, was really the best rebounder on that Georgia team before he decided to leave. He'll bring back someone like Lamar Washington, who I think is going to be able to take some strides forward. Chance McMillan, I think, is someone that can actually make that jump going from a mid-major up to a higher level as last season. He was at Grand Canyon putting up about 11 points per contest. Just a peer shooter, 44.5% three-point shooting. And then Darion Williams, he didn't necessarily do one thing great Mines Nevada, but just an absolute stat sheet sufferer. Grand McCaslin has a lot of unselfish players that are going to be very versatile. They know the role if they're able to get anything out of Kerwin Walton, who a few years ago in North Carolina, this guy was a really good three-point shooter and just a pure scorer. Can't expect him to all of a sudden be like some 5-0 player as I'm using a baseball term there, but not a guy that's going to completely suffer the stat sheet, but I think that he can be someone that off the bench can be a little bit of a microwave scorer and I think that Grant McCaslin is going to get the most out of this roster. I've got Texas Tech at number six with regards to my projector finish. and number five, I'm going to be going with Iowa State. Iowa State did not do a lot that was flashy in the transfer portal. Jackson Bavelski he's going to have to be going up a level, and you always have your question marks there. But we actually saw with Jackson Bavelski him leading the way for Wofford last season. They did win a game on the road against Texas A&M and For Pavelski, good three-point shooter at about 39.5% from distance, 15 points, 3.5 3.5 assists. Did turn the ball over a little bit last year while he was at Wofford, but again, he was in a situation where at Wofford, a bad possession for him was better than a good possession for someone else. And I do think that Kashawn Gilbert is exactly what the doctor ordered for the team as well. With Gilbert, this guy did it all while he was at UNLV. 11.5 points, 3 assists, steal and a half, shot 38.5% from three point range. Just a classic TJ Osselberger guy. And then Tameon Lipsby, I think that he's going to be able to take that next step forward last, this year. Last year with Lipsby was able to register about four and a half assists per contest. And you could tell, just as the season went along, he gained more and more confidence. He became more and more a part of an offense. And let's go it what it is. Iowa State is never going to be a team that you look at them and you think, oh, wow, this team is going to blow us out in like some 80 to 77 slobber knocker or anything like that. This is a team that... They're looking to play these games in the fifties, if at all possible. If not, they're looking to play these games in the sixties, but for Lipsby he was able to get two and a half steals per contest. In the final about 17 or so games of the season. Does a great job. Omaha Lu is one of the more underrated freshmen coming in as well. Because the team is going to need a little bit more down low. Robert Jones is going to be returning. But with Lu he's someone that's six foot eight. I think that he's going to do a nice job on the glass for this team. You're going to have Trey King available as well. A little bit of a question mark as he has spent a bit of time away from college basketball. I think that he's going to be able to make some contributions as well. Iowa State. Just a team that's going to be a thorn in the side of everyone. It's not necessarily the flashiest roster. It's not necessarily a roster that you look on paper and you think that they're a top-five team. But I think that TJ alsoberger the way that he just gets these guys to play defense with that style itself, it will elevate the team. And I've got Iowa State as a result. Number five, with regards to my projector finish. And number four, I'm going to be going with Texas. Texas would be ahead of Baylor, but I just have those question marks with Caden Shredrick along Dylan DeSue. Are they going to be out there on the floor? Because with DeSue... He had a rough about year and a half with Texas before he just all of a sudden found it at the back half of the season. Now he's being put behind the eight ball with this injury. so and it's very unfortunate to see because with Dylan DeSue, if you take a look from February 13th on, final 12 games that he played in, he shot about 66% from two-point range, 45.5% from three-point range, was able to register about 13 points, six a half rebounds, just under a block per contest. I mean, he was really an elevator for the team, and so is able to give you some blocks as well. Not going to do quite as much on the offensive end, in my opinion, as DeSue, but now if you've got these two guys out of the fold to begin the season, You're looking at Dylan Mitchell and Brock Cunningham really needing to hold it down down low and for Texas, this was a team that was really hanging their hat last year on the fact that they had so much depth with having out of the fold because he transferred to Kansas and Well, he's no longer with Kansas, Ontario Morris, having a few other guys like Marcus Carr and company moving on. That depth is now going to be called into question. I do like what Tyrese Hunter and Max Aismiss is going to be able to give you in the backcourt. And Hunter, I was wondering how he's going to be able to fit in with Texas last year because he was such a bad three-point shooter while he was over at Iowa State, but really worked on that. Shot more like 34% from three-point range last season. Proved that he could play a little bit more off the ball with Max Aismiss. I think that he'd probably be best served having Tyrese center take a little bit more of those point guard duties and perhaps become a little bit more of a just heat check score last year at Oral Roberts. He actually had his lowest scoring output since he was a freshman at 21.9 points per contest. But we all know that this guy is able to stroke it from three-point range. Ifeo Horton feels like he's been in college basketball for 57 years. He and Chendell Weaver do give this backcourt a little bit of depth as well. But I do think that for Texas, with them having their issues with Caden Shedrick, along Dylan to sue those injuries... It does make me temper my expectations a little bit more for Texas. And as a result, I do have them at number four with regards to my projector or finish. and number three, I'm going to be going with Baylor. With Baylor, they do have a lot of new pieces. No longer do you have LJ Cryer in the fold and guys of that oak. But Ray J. Dennis, I loved what he was able to do out there in the MAC last season. And I think that he is one of those guys that, despite the fact that he's going up a level, that he's going to have success doing so. Keep in mind, he played his freshman year over at Boise State as well. While the Mountain West is not quite the Big 12, that is a very good level of competition. And for Dennis, I mean, what didn't he do? I was actually lead the lights here. Oh, I can tell you, didn't necessarily play the world's greatest defense. There was that, but. 19.5 points, nearly six assists, seal after contest, shot 36.5% from three-point inches. absolutely amazing, and I do think that Langston Love is going to be able to have a nice step up this year as well. With Baylor, they are going to need a little bit of that because they do lose so much of that just great backcourt from the season ago. Keontae George, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, all of your top three scores, they're now at the full, but with Langston Love, he showed some flashes of brilliance last year, was able to give the team in the neighborhood about six and a half points per contest, a mid-33-point shooter, certainly had some of his games where he was able to take hold and he was able to have big performances. There were some games where he just didn't necessarily contribute a lot, but that's because he wasn't required to be a top-scoring option last year. This year, he is going to need to be, and I do think that he's going to be able to flash some of that brilliance. On top of that, Jaden Nunn is someone that I think is going to be able to take a step up as well, but as we were referring to, if Jonathan Chalmo can be out there on the floor and be available for this team, he's dealing with injury issues once again, but you can tell that he just makes such a difference for this Baylor team, and they're going to need him to be out there on the floor because they don't necessarily have a ton of size. You got Caleb Lohner as well, and Caleb Lohner, he was making that step up from BYU. You could tell that it was a little bit difficult for him. I think here in season number two, he's going to be able to have a little bit more success, and I do think that he's someone that you could make out a little bit more. And then Evos Misi. He comes in as a six foot ten gentleman. I think that he and Myra Little are a pair of freshmen that are going a little bit under the radar that are going to be able to help out Jacoby Walter and all that he's looking to do. I think that Baylor is going to be looking to go a little bit deeper than a lot of people are thinking, and I do think that that depth of Baylor is going to keep them as a top three team in this conference. I do have Baylor number three with regards to my projector finish, and then at number two, going to be going with Houston. With Houston, they've got just so many guys that are able to give you quality minutes Guys that you don't think of, like Javier Francois along with Ramon Walker Jr. I think that these are going to be guys that come in off the bench, do a solid job. Do you all help out your like of Jawan Roberts, who I figure is going to be the top rebounder for this team. He is that one guy that is probably gonna give you north of six rebounds per game as Houston every single year. Everyone on the roster rebounds. It is a requirement if you play for Calvin Sampson, and he always gets his team to just not allow offensive rebounds. Typically, with rebounds, there is a little bit of luck involved with it, and you have to take a look, all right, is this actually consistent from year to year? With Houston, it's one of the few teams where it is, and then you've got Jamal Shedd, the man that does such a good job running this offense last season. He had 5.4 assists, 2.1 turnovers per contest. Now, Jairus Walker, Marcus Sasser, these guys are out of the fold. The launch. train Marcus, as well. Do want to mention him because I do think that that is quite a big loss. But LJ Cryer coming in after he was such a good three-point shooter, a double-figure score at Baylor. That's big. Damian Dunn, he's able to get her done as well. I think that he's going to come in from Temple and he's going to have instant success with this team. And I do think that he's one of the more underrated transfers in all of college basketball last season. A little bit over 15 points per contest, and Temple from time to time would actually bring him in off the bench. So if he needs to be a sixth man for Houston, he is willing to take on that role. Shot about 35% from three-point range. A solid defender at six foot five. He's able to do a little bit of everything, Terrence. Arsenault, he was someone that went a little bit under the radar last season. He didn't get a ton of run just because he had so many guys in front of him, but at 6'5", and being a top 50 recruit from last season, I think that he's going to be able to play a big role for the team as well. Houston always is one of the top 10 teams in all of college basketball with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do a great job on the glass. They've got good three-point shooting. This is a very complete team. I've got Houston at number two with regards to my protector or finish, but just really are to go against this team at number one. We are going to be going with Kansas. The only question with Kansas is should you put them number one or number two in all of college basketball? Personally, I've got Duke a smidgen ahead of them, especially with them now having out-of-the-fold Arterio Morris. Very bad situation there, but you just take a look at what Juan Harris is able to do, and if he's able to give you just even a monocle more of scoring, I think that this team is going to be just fine, because with Harris he averaged about 9 points per contest, but you could tell that there were some games in which he just gave you a big giant nothing burger with regards to a scoring aspect, but north of two steals, 6 assists per contest, tremendous offender, and when he decided to score, he was actually a very efficient scorer, as he shot over 40% from three-point The one question mark I do have a lot of people seem to be sold on Nicholas Timberlake being able to take that. Step up from being at Towson to being in the Big 12. I do have a few question marks there. It was obviously a great knockdown shooter. Made 41.5% of his threes last year while he was at Towson. I do have a few question marks there. It was a Towson team that sometimes they were a little bit inconsistent with their defense as well. But Kevin McCullough, you know what you're going to be able to get out of him. He's not going to be that number one or number two scorer, but he's going to give you like 10 points, 6 or 7 rebounds, a couple of assists, a steal, a block. If you need him to sell hot dogs at the hot dog stand, he's able to do that. And then KJ Adams was really able to take some strides forward last season as well as for KJ Adams. He went from being someone that really didn't contribute too much with that national title team to being a guy that they were able to rely upon for 25 plus minutes per contest. Once again, doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but it will give you like a pair of assists. He'll give you a few rebounds. He doesn't necessarily shoot threes. As a matter of fact, I don't know if he made a single three all season long last year, but he does, does winning plays for this team. I do think that with Kansas... Bringing in Hunter Dickinson, that is just going to be such an elevator. Someone who has 7'1 is able to pop threes. He's going to be able to manhandle the boards. He's going to do a nice job of being that go-to guy for DeWan Harris to take the load off of him. And then you bring in a Marco Jackson, who's going to be able to make some big contributions in that backcourt. Don't know if Jabari McDowell is going to get out there on the floor or not, but he's a freshman that I thought went a little bit under the radar. You're going to have... Most likely, Parker Braun be able to give you a little bit of versatility. Spell Hunter Dickinson for some minutes as well. This is a very deep team with Johnny Furphy probably being able to give you some good minutes as a six foot seven, a little bit of a combo freshman as well. This is a very complete Kansas team and one that I think is going to be back atop the Big Twelve. I've got the Jacks number one with regards to my projector finish, and now wrap things up for the Big Twelve Conference Preview edition of Gus Gus Hoops right here on the Beeson Family Podcast. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Gus Gus Hoops. You're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able in. First one is my Twitter slash X Timeline at JuniorScorty One. Keep in mind letters CM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline on the Raise Vine and Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review it was Great to get on Jacob Harrison, segment number two, who does great work over at the Portal Report, coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. We are getting closer and closer to the start of the college basketball season. Here in the final few weeks, before we get started, I'm giving you guys these conference previews. We've got one left. We've got the Pac-12, so to do, and then we have hit them all. And then once we get in season, picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So appreciate you tuning in today, and I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you.